Aren't you glad Jesus conquered the grave this morning? He conquered the grave, he can conquer anything, right? Uh, we are so glad that you're here at Northside Baptist this morning, uh, certainly for our home folks, but, but also our guests. And if you're one of our guests, we'd love to get to know you a little bit more, maybe can, can reach out to you just to find out uh, you know, how we can best minister to you. And there's a great way that you can let us, let us uh, know that and, and, and let it help us with that. In your bulletin, there's a little tear out. I'd uh, love you to fill that out, give us some information, and you can place that in the, the offering plate in just a few minutes, or you can give it to a minister at the door at the end of the service, but we want to know who you are, and, um, but we are, we're glad that you're here right now, I want you to take this time to greet one another, let each other know that you're excited to be in God's house this morning.
ask our children to join me up on stage for just a minute. Woo, we got a fancy new seat up here, don't we? I like it. All right. Well, how are we doing today? Two of you doing good? How are the rest of you? Good, good. Hey, I know you see what's on the stage here. It looks a little different than it usually does, doesn't it? What are some of the things you see? Just tell me. Just tell me. There's lots. Cheerleader stuff, footballs, soccer balls, a parrot. Yeah, all right. I guess that's a, is that a war parrot? No, I don't know. Well, hey, listen, we got all kinds of good stuff up there. It's because, you, look at me now. What's, what's happening this week? Vacation Bible School, VBS, that's right. And what is the theme? Anybody know? Game on. That's right. Game on. All right. So I may have to say that like I'm from South Georgia. Game on. Okay. Yeah. So I really am from South Georgia. So I was thinking about some of the things that I heard from a coach one time. Listen. Listen. Somebody was asking him, Coach, why do you schedule these games against opponents that are that, that you know are just far better than you? You know. Maybe in a division that's that's higher than yours. And you know what his response was? He said, "We'll never beat them if we never play them." You know, we might go out there and they might whip us from one end of the field down to the other, but we'll never win the game if we never play them. But listen, I want to tell you a little bit about Vacation Bible School. So listen to this. Have you ever thought, man, I wish I had a friend that would come to v VBS with me? Well, you know what? probably never come if you never ask them. So it's got to invite them. Or maybe you thought, I would love to see somebody come to know Jesus. Well, you know what? We won't ever do that if we don't ever share the gospel of Jesus with people. We have to do it. And so I want to encourage you. Somebody says, hey, tell me about Jesus. Well, game on. I want to talk about Jesus. Okay? I would love to invite you to church. I'm going to take it as a challenge. And the verse that we're talking about this week, 2 Peter 1.3, says that he's already given us everything for life and godliness. So we do that, not with our own words. Are you listening? We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Through the power of Jesus, we can go out. We can share the love of Jesus with everyone we meet. You can talk about Jesus with your friends. Oh, you give me a thumbs up. Good. With your friends, with your neighbors. And I would love for you to invite somebody to come to VBS with us this week. Are you looking forward to having a lot of fun this week? Yeah. All right. Yes. Me and Eli are going to have fun this week. We're going to have some fun. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to play some games. We're going to open up God's Word and study, and, and study the Bible. You have a good time. I would love for you to invite somebody. And last thing, game on. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for all of our Vacation Bible School workers and volunteers to, that, that make this week just an amazing week in the life of our church. But Lord, thank you for our children. May we, may we do all we can to raise godly children. And Lord, take it upon ourselves as well to go out and invite people to church, invite people to know Jesus. It's in his name I pray.
remain standing for the reading of God's word. We're, we are still in the book of Acts. The book of Acts will be, <clears throat> be reading from chapter 6, Acts 6, 8 through 15. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some from what is called the Freedmen's Synagogue composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, came forward and disputed with Stephen. They were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came and dragged him off and took him, in, and took him to the Sanhedrin. They also presented false witnesses who said, this man, does not, this man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against his holy place and the law. For we have heard it said that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Please bless the reading of your word and give a message this morning. Give us open hearts and ears to hear from you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I've had some say, BJ, where's your VBS shirt? I just um, forgot it and left it. It's hanging up in my closet. So it's not that I think I have to wear a shirt with a collar. <clears throat> but here we are, you know, if you've been with us, we're in the book of We've been in the book of Acts for quite some time now, and last week we talked about how uh, there was there, there arose a potential division in the church, and so we said, hey, there's some widows that are being ignored, and so the apostles said, well, this is a legitimate concern, so what are we going to do about it? Can we handle it ourselves? We don't think that's the best option. Should we ignore it? No, it's legitimate. So how about we find some other men who can take care of this ministry for us, and we see the birth of the first deacons. Now, it's interesting that the deacons are listed name by name, and then there's a couple of these deacons that we see go on, and we see more of their story. And so I told you that one of the things about getting people involved is you see that more people 
get to participate in the kingdom of God and get to see their giftedness and get to see their working out in, in God's kingdom. And that's what we have here as we look just after we see that the widows are taking care of the deacons, we find Stephen. He was one of those deacons. Now, just because he was a deacon didn't mean he didn't proclaim God's word. We Clearly, he did, because this is what it tells us here. He was full of grace and power. Now, listen, as he was discussing these things, as he was sharing the gospel, full of grace and power, they couldn't handle it. The folks listening to it couldn't handle it, not because of he was not because he was persuasive or used cunning uh, thought or, or, or big words, but says it because he was full of grace and power. And that only comes from one thing. They couldn't handle the wisdom and the spirit. The spirit is capitalized here. So it wasn't just his countenance or his, uh, his personality his exuberance, but it was the very Holy Spirit of God that was in him, working through him. They couldn't handle it. They didn't know what to do. So they concocted a plan, a fabrication, if you will. The elders and scribes, and you may see them, elders and scribes, if you see that phrase used oftentimes, you can, you can say this is the Pharisees and Sadducees. Some were concerned with the law and and. and and making sure that the, the temple, making sure worship was carried out as accordance to the law, at least as accordance to the way that, that they saw the law to be. But they dragged him before the council or before the Sanhedrin. And so here we have again, if you remember a few chapters ago, we had John and Peter drugged before the Sanhedrin, standing in front of the same men who had just, just a few months perhaps, just a few months earlier, Jesus had stood before them, they had sentenced him to crucifixion. Now John and Peter are before him. John and Peter, they're told to stop preaching. And they said, do what you got to. We ain't going to stop preaching. And so here, here we have Stephen now, drugged before this same body of, of men. And he's looking into their eyes. And I imagine he's beginning to feel like this is John and Peter. This was Jesus looking at these same men and I know what happened to them but what what we see here somewhat of a trial and I use that term loosely it's not really a trial they go through things pretty quickly it degenerated from theology in this conversation about theology there's slander and then violence and oftentimes this has been repeated I would say 2,000 years, but it's probably been repeated far longer than that. There's a conversation, we don't like it, so we trump up some lies, and then that doesn't get us anywhere, so let's resort to violence. What happens in, in verse 10? There's a theological debate that's taking place. They were unable to stand up against his wisdom and spirit by whom he was speaking, this theological debate. And then it, it spirals downward into a personal campaign of lies. Verse 13. Verse 13 says they presented false witnesses against him. There was a campaign of lies that took place. And then finally, legal or at best quasi-legal action. They drug him before the Sanhedrin. And all that follows the rest of this passage, some legal action. One commentator said, let others use these weapons against us, speaking about the church. But it says this, may we be delivered from resorting to them 
ourselves. May we be resorted from using them ourselves. So other people may do this. They may not like what they see, and so they begin to lie and trump up lies and then resort to legal action. I don't think you have to look very far into our political system to see that this is a tactic of a lot of folks in our, in, on, on the campaign trail. And then even afterwards, verses 13 and 14, though, we, we see that one of the accusations against him is he's talking about Jesus. But not only that, in verse 13, it says, This man does not stop speaking blasphemous words against, and there's two things here, against this holy place and against the law. Now, to be fair, whenever you're speaking blasphemous words against the law and against the holy place, the Sanhedrin had a right to be upset. They didn't understand why they were upset. They didn't understand why they were wrong. But they were, in their mind, they were setting out to protect the holy temple and to protect the law that was given by Moses. Now, if we keep going, what we see here in verse 14, we heard him say that Jesus, this Nazarene, will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Now see, that's what they heard because they really weren't listening. That's not exactly what Jesus said. He didn't say he came to abolish the law. It's about he says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And when he's speaking of his body, when Jesus speaks of his body, the Apostle John says the temple he had spoken of was his body. But when he speaks of the body, his resurrection body was raised on the third day. I will destroy the temple and raise it again on the third, in, in, in three days. He's speaking of his physical body, the resurrection. But also, we know this, as we study the New Testament, as we go forward, the Apostle Paul talks about another body of Christ. A spiritual body speaking of the church and so when Jesus speaks of the body he speaks first of all of himself it will be destroyed and in three days raised back but he also speaks about the spiritual body the church and don't miss this because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit if you are a believer in Christ, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So the temple that had been constructed there in Jerusalem is being replaced now by your body. The church, you carry the Holy Spirit. It's not just that that is a dwelling place for God in the Holy of Holies. A dwelling place for God is inside your very body. And so when we speak about these things, we need to understand what we're talking about. This is really what Stephen is preaching but again the Sanhedrin didn't understand they thought he was talking about destroying the temple, their place of worship and getting rid of all the scrolls and all the laws that they had held so dear that had been given through Moses to the people of Israel so they asked him chapter 7 verse 1 is this true? is it true what they have said about you that you want to destroy the temple and you want to abolish the law because, again, it's a very serious offense. And then Stephen gives a very lengthy response. A very lengthy response. I'm not going to read that to you this morning. But I'd encourage you 
on your own time to read through what he says. He recounts the history of Israel. He recounts God delivering Israel from the oppression of the Egyptians. He talks about Moses and, and the law given to Moses. He talks about the building of the temple and King David. In other words, he doesn't say outright, yes, this is true, or no, this is false. But what he does do is recount all of Israel's history, proving he really understands the giving of the law. And he understands it. He's studied it. He's grown up with it. He is himself a Jew, perhaps a Greek Jew, but he is a Jew, and he understands. And in a way, he's elevating the law and, and the temple and saying, yes, these are good things, but there's something greater. And it's not just a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. Now, as he talks about the Old Testament, he talks about Moses and the law, and he talks about the prophets. If you're in chapter 7, turn over to verse 51. He talks about the prophets of the Old Testament. Verse 51 in chapter 7, You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you're always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Now, to be sure, if he was looking to save his life, he just messed up right there. He called them stiff-necked. He said that they rejected the Holy Spirit. He said that you, too, have become betrayers and murderers. But in essence, what he's saying is, I know the history of Israel, folks. I know you're the Sanhedrin. I'm a Jew as well. I know the history of Israel. I know the law came to Moses. I know about the building of the temple. And I know what you do to prophets. I know what you do to prophets. And I, myself, am prepared to face whatever you deem necessary. Look, here's just a few, maybe more of the more obscure prophets from the Old Testament. Well, first of all, not one very obscure, but Jeremiah described himself as a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. Elijah was threatened by Queen Jezebel. Amos was instructed by the chief priest at the sanctuary in Bethel to never prophesy there again. Micaiah was slapped in the face by Zedekiah and imprisoned by King Ahab. Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, was stoned to death. Hananiah, well, King Asa uh, was so enraged that he put Hananiah in prison. Uriah, when, when King Jehoiakim had Uriah struck down with a sword and then his body thrown into a common burial place, there were others. There were others who were beaten, others who were who were imprisoned, others who were chastised, others who were killed. The Old Testament prophets were not treated well by their own folks. And Stephen is standing in front of the Sanhedrin saying, I, I know what happens to prophets. You know what he does? It's a lot like the lot like the choir special we just heard. Stephen stands firm. He's immovable. He's unrelenting. He doesn't apologize for what he has shared. He stands firm knowing a potential response is coming from the Sanhedrin. And so what he says is, I know what you did to the prophets. 
I know what Israel likes to do to its prophets, and I'm prepared. And I'm prepared to face whatever it is. You just go ahead and do whatever it is you've got to do. But this is the message that I'm proclaiming. And so they do. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge him with his sin. Saying this, he fell asleep, which is another way to say he died. He stood firm. He says, I know how Israel treats their prophets, but go ahead and do what you've got to do. So they did. You know, by the way, this is another instance, just a, just a commentary against the prosperity gospel, because we have Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church, full of the grace and full of the spirit, performing signs and wonders, someone who is full of grace and spirit, whose life that day doesn't end in a very prosperous, earth, earthly life. Did he lack some faith or something? That's my question. I don't think so. I think he was doing exactly what God called him to do. And so he's stoned. Now, I did a little bit of research to try to figure out what stoning actually is. I thought maybe there's more to it than hurling rocks at people. But essentially, it's hurling rocks at somebody. Now, there's a little bit, of, a little bit that, that would take place, particularly in the, in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, the person that was accused of a crime would be led up on a, a cliff or over a pit, and it says two times the height of the man. And so I guess they had to adjust the height depending on how tall the man was. But, you know, anywhere from uh, 10, 12, maybe 14 feet, depending on how tall the man was, like I said. And so... The person stands up there and they shove them at the waist, hoping that their head would go over first and fall down. If the man was not dead at that point, the, the accuser, the, the, maybe the primary witness, would take a large boulder and throw it down upon his midsection or on his chest, hoping that he was killed. If that wasn't it, then the rest of the folks that were, the, the, that, that were uh, on trial there or, or, or the other witnesses would continue to throw rocks until the person was dead. And so... In those instances, it may go fairly quickly. If he goes first headlong and, and, and falls and hits his head, it, the person may have died, and it may be fairly quickly, okay? Either way, it's not something nice to talk about. I know it's Sunday morning, but it's not something nice to talk about, but it's in the Bible. It, it happened. But this doesn't really seem to be the case here because they were so angry. They were so upset. It says they... They gnash their teeth, they cover their ears, they scream at him, they grab him, and they drag him outside the city. Not only that, but we understand in the first century that Rome had revoked capital punishment from the Jews. This really looks more like a mob lynching than anything else. 
They run, they grab him. Now, the execution they needed to be done quickly because, like I said, Rome had revoked that capital punishment from the Jews, but it doesn't seem like the death was instant. It seemed like it was a little bit prolonged, and so it was a little bit of agony as you read the context there. But it, it seems like they grabbed him, they threw him down outside the city walls, and they began to throw stones at him. Maybe some hit him in the midsection, maybe some hit him in the head, but he was aware enough to have a couple of statements before this group of people. Two statements that are incredibly reminiscent of two other statements just uttered just a few months before this. But when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. But he also, he also asked that this sin of theirs not be counted against them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, in this moment as he's crying out to the Lord, what we see here is Stephen sees Jesus. Oftentimes, Christians, as they approach death, or it's been it's in conversation, it's been my experience that I've had people say that they've seen Jesus. As they approach death, and that, that veil between life here and, and life in eternity gets really, really thin heard people tell me they see Jesus my own granny when she was dying she was in the hospital she had asked all of the family to leave the room except for her only son and she looked at him and said I've talked to Jesus and I told him I didn't want to live like that or I don't want I didn't want to live like this and he said I didn't have to and 10 minutes later she was gone I was in the hospital room with one of our own a few years ago, Miss Betty Perry. And uh, I didn't know her that well because I wasn't here very long. I can't remember who else was in the room, but she'd asked a couple people to leave the room, and she talked to me. She said, I had a dream last night. I, I saw Jesus. I'm good, and he's good, and I'm, I'm ready to go home. I would encourage you also to read some of the other martyrs, some of the other stories. Polycarp, for instance. Some of the other martyrs throughout church history. You can grab a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. Or there was a group back when I liked a lot of Christian music called DC Talk. They, they put a book together called Jesus Freaks about a lot of folks who have been killed not just in the first century, but even over the last few decades. And a lot of these folks, they see Jesus. Now, as we see Jesus after his ascension in Scripture, let me just go through some Scripture with you here. This is the way we see Jesus in his own words from Luke twenty-two sixty-nine says, But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Matthew 26, 64, But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Mark 16, 19. Then after speaking to them, 
The Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1.20, he demonstrated his power in the Messiah by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Colossians 3.1, so if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What we see after the ascension before his coming again in that time period, when we see Jesus, he is seated at the right hand of God. But that is not the way he's described here. In verse 55, what we see here is Jesus is not seated, but Jesus is indeed standing. It says he saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus standing the king never stands before the subjects. The king remains seated. His subjects stand before the king. But this isn't the case here. What's going on? Why is Jesus not seated at the right hand of God? Why is he standing? I believe it's because he is so honored with Stephen's life and his faithfulness. One one commentator, F.F. F. Bruce, put it this way. Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. What a great testimony. What a great testimony. The king stands up and welcomes, and welcomes Stephen into his presence. My question is, what would cause a man to willingly die this horrible death? What would cause someone to willingly die this horrible death? First John has something for us. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, we testify and declare to you the eternal life was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may have fellowship along with us. We, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. What would cause him to willingly die this horrible death? It's because he believed in his message. He'd seen it. He had heard it. He experienced it. He had experienced Jesus personally, in a very personal way. So he's willing to stand firm. Are you? Have you experienced Jesus in a personal way? Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Jim Elliott gave up his life here in the United States to go down to an Ecuadorian tribe. He was killed. People told him he was foolish. Only a fool would do what you're doing. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I had a student who was 17 years old. He came up to me and said, Hey, BJ, I'm not going to summer camp this summer with you. I was like, well, why not, man? You're one of our leaders. He said, well, actually, I need you to fill out some paperwork because I'm going to spend all next summer, if, if it all works out, with the North American Mission Board in California. I said, okay, you're excused from camp. <clears throat> and he spent his summer 
in California proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. There are others. I could go on and on and on. But my question is, what about you? Are you willing to endure for the sake of Christ? Now, what effect do these false accusations and lynchings have here with Stephen? The last, uh, the, the, the last part of, of chapter 7 here, verse 58, says this. Don't miss it. Then they threw him out of the city. Don't miss that. They threw him outside the city walls. And then as you turn to chapter 8, verse 1, you see a little thing there about Saul, but you see this. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. They threw him outside the city. For all we know, this is the first time that the gospel has been carried outside the city of Jerusalem by the church. And if you'll remember, when we began the book of this study in the book of Acts, I said, don't forget, chapter 1, verse 8, this is a prophecy for what will unfold. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we're seeing this prophecy unfold right here with Stephen. He didn't walk outside the city gates. The people threw him outside the city. And as, he, as he's outside the city, he continues to speak of Jesus. There's a persecution that takes place, and now the church is being scattered throughout Samaria and Judea. The gospel is now proclaimed outside of the city of Jerusalem. But again, I come back to this. And if you'll just bear with me with this last few questions. What about you? Are you willing to endure for the sake of Christ? What would you suffer if you knew that through my suffering, the kingdom of God could expand? What is God doing through your life? How is God working in your life to advance the kingdom? And I think we may, this morning, we may fall into one of two categories. For some, you feel like right now, you're already in that struggle or in that difficulty in your life. Finances are really tight. The car is on the fritz. Kids are struggling or had a struggling year at school, uh, whether that's academic or social or otherwise. Your parents, maybe your parents are aging, and they're going to need some help, and you're trying to figure that out. There's a family member who's sick or is, has recently died. Or you've got a family member or a close friend or a colleague or a co-worker or a neighbor that you know isn't saved and you've been praying for them. And you feel like that you're in the struggle right now already. I'm here. I, you know, I've not been dragged out of the city in stone, but I'm in a tough part of my life, BJ. I don't know. What is God teaching me? I just want to share two things with you this morning. First of all, you are more than a conqueror. Dr. Seuss made up words. Shakespeare made up words. The Apostle Paul made up words, too. You're more than a conqueror. Hypernikaio is the Greek word there. The root has two roots, hyper and nike. Those are two words most of us are familiar with. Hyper is just over and above. Nike is, is victor or victory or conqueror. Hypernikaio in the book of Romans chapter 8, he uses, he uses that word. What are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. As you go on through that passage, 
As you go on through this passage, it says, No, in all these things, we are more than victorious. We are more than conquerors, your version may say, through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what you're going through, but I will say, regardless of what you're going through, you're more than a conqueror through the power of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not even death. Look at his own son who conquered death. And the first thing is, if you're in that tough moment, you're more than a conqueror. But the second thing is, it might be that it's your difficulty that is a bridge to the gospel. You never know what God is doing in your life that you can connect with someone else and share the gospel. For others in the room, maybe things are going pretty well. You know, you, you stop and you say, really, my life is pretty good right now. It's, it's you know, I, not without some difficulties, but things are, things are going pretty well. Maybe you just have a choice to make. Maybe you feel God calling you to the mission field. And the choice is, are you going to obey him or not? Maybe it's not the full-time missions. Maybe it's just you need to join a mission trip that our church takes. Maybe it's just God has said, invite your neighbor to church, your coworker. Share Christ with that coworker. Offer to pray for your coworker. Maybe God has said, teach a Sunday school class, coach an upward team, go on a mission trip. And I'm not saying those things are big struggles, but for some, there's a commitment there. There's a commitment that takes place. For me personally, just through some different circumstances this week, I've been challenged in a couple of areas in preparing this sermon. One is I've been challenged to carry the gospel more often, not just in my back pocket, but through my mouth. So even last night at Walmart, met a man named Xavier. He just, he said, right now, if you would pray for me, I'm trying to publish a book. I said, I will. There are other examples. I'm trying to be more active in that. I'm, I'm not good. I left a restaurant this week, and I looked at my wife, and I said, the Lord told me I needed to ask the waitress if I could pray for her, and I didn't, and I need to repent from that. But the other thing is, through some other circumstances, the Lord has challenged me to look into what it means to sponsor a child. It's not nearly the commitment as adoption or, or fostering, but to sponsor a child. I think our family can do that. We're, right now I'm looking at the organizations, researching them to make sure that, that we choose the best one, the one that I think fulfills God's mission the best. Compassion International and World Vision are two that I'm looking at. And I'm just being honest with you this morning. God's challenged me, what kind of commitment are you going to make to see the kingdom of God move forward? Those are just a couple of areas. My question, what is God bringing you through 
Or what is he calling you to? All for the sake of the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. And maybe, just maybe, the king stands up and you hear a voice. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, I don't know each and every situation in this room today, but I don't have to. I know what you have impressed upon my life and my family. God, I want to be counted as faithful. I want to be counted as faithful. Lord, I don't know what you may be calling people here today. Maybe somebody is really struggling with something right now. And they just need to know that Jesus Christ has overcome everything. And we can trust you. We can trust you. And uh, even if even if like Stephen, even if things don't work out the way we think they ought to, maybe one day we'll be able to look up and see Jesus Christ face to face. And oh, what a glorious day that would be. But Father, there's some in the room that if they were to lose their life today, that would not be their result. Maybe there's somebody here who says, man, if today is the day that I lose my life, I would not see Jesus face to face. I would spend eternity apart from him. But today, that, that can change. Lord, what, are, what is it that maybe, maybe you're calling some of us to do, to go, to carry the message of the gospel of Jesus, to, to further your kingdom? Lord, thank you for the example of Stephen. May we follow that example in following Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, that's what we want to do this morning. You speak and may we listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'll stand, we'll sing. You can respond. You can uh, come up and pray at the altar. Maybe it's a response in your chair. Come and speak with me. I'd love to pray with you if you need someone to pray with. But however God leads right now, you respond. Let's sing. Are you glad you were able to worship in the house of God this morning? 
I am. I'm so glad that you are here. Um, listen, this week is Vacation Bible School. Uh, I, I think that falls right under mission work in, in our church. Uh, I know Lindsay has told me we've already got several unchurched folks, or at least not Northside members. I shouldn't say they were unchurched, but just not members of Northside who are, who are planning to be here this week. And so what a great opportunity to share the gospel. Listen, if you're one of our workers, thank you. Uh, and, and, and we want to pray for you that you go forward with the grace of Jesus and the strength of, of, of Jesus this week. But even if you're not on campus, you can pray for us. There's power in prayer. And I don't say that flippantly or lightly. Pray for us. And Lindsay, you wanted to talk? <laughs> uh, hold on. loud I am now you hand me a microphone so <laughs> uh, just a couple of quick announcements there are several of y'all who were not able to make the teachers meetings this week 